Hey everybody, this is Mike. You are listening to the Strange Assembly podcast. And you may not be used to me doing these bumpers. And that's because, in case you haven't seen the update on our website, Mrs. Strange Assembly, Chris's wife, as you may or may not know, is currently pregnant and apparently was having a little bit of difficulty with her pregnancy. And that, along with other things, has just eaten some of Chris's time, so he's not been able to put much time forward to the Strange Assembly podcast as completely reasonable. The family always comes first. So, Jay and I were very excited when we saw the uh, Reina Roja Netrunner card pack that came out. So we decided to go ahead and uh, record one, and because Chris's time is pretty limited right now, I decided to go ahead and edit it myself to try and take that off of him. So, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Beginning probably sounds a little bit weird. Sorry, we tried, oh, let's do something experimental and listening back to it. Did not work at all. So, I'm having to record this bumper, uh, but hopefully it'll make sense. So, this is Jay Earl and myself, Mike Cook, talking about Reina Rojas pack and about Hex, which we're both pretty excited about. So, hope you enjoy. Thanks. But anyways, uh, yeah, so Netrunner. Okay, Netrunner. Them Netrunner previews. So the newest ones that uh, just went up, the newest previews that just went up yesterday? Yep, 7-1. It's the third data pack in the spin cycle, and they're introducing us. The personality that is apparently coming out in this pack is Reina Roja, which is uh, the Red Queen. I don't know if... I think Reina actually is Queen, so I think that is just Red Queen in yeah, Spanish. Yeah, Red, Red Queen. Yep. Freedom Fighter, and they're also introducing us to the concept of the chess programs, the, the Kaisa? Yeah, I, I think that's how you want to pronounce it. They look really interesting, but it also feels like it's way too much setup. Well, so yeah. we'll, we'll see when they actually, you know, come out. I, I feel like this is going to be the same thing as the criminal, it, it, only slightly. Okay, it's like the criminal, but it's not. No. Um, <laughs> But the same way that the criminal doesn't really play the same game that the Anarchs and that the Shapers do currently. Sure, I just, I mean, the criminal is playing a game of asset denial where it's like, oh, what's that? You can't bother to raise your eyes? I'll just steal these agendas, thanks. Whereas I sort of feel like the, the chess, I, the chess programs are just gonna be like, I'm gonna play chess over here. Oh, what's that? You've already won the game? Crud. Well, but I think these have potent enough effects. The ones that they've previewed have potent enough effects that uh, that will be mitigated. I, I think that they actually have a chance. Rook, for example, is pretty good. Though the res, the res cost of each piece of ice protecting the server is increased by two. Yeah, that's going to be huge. It combined, I mean, I, I know a lot of people were kind of poo-pooing Reina Roja's uh, ability. They're idiots. Yeah, I mean. I think that ability is pretty decent through most of the game, especially if you splash some corp in her. Um, but yeah, oh, even, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, <laughs> completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even without any criminal in the deck, her and Xanadu, <laughs> and Xanadu's infaction. Yeah, yeah, Xanadu's infaction. But I mean, just just that first turn, you should be able to force the corp to let you into something, unless they draw an ice wall and a and a well, wait. Yeah, if they draw an ice wall and one of the three costs, they can block you from both servers. 
Short of that, you're getting in somewhere. And you're still costing them another bit. Right. And if they, yes, if they keep you out with an ice wall and an enigma, they're still broke. Yep. And if they have basically anything else, that just made it really terrible because they probably, well, yeah, because you're going to be getting in somewhere. Right. And you're probably going to hit HQ first because you want to get at that R&D. Yeah, presumably. I think this really reinforces, her plus wizard really reinforces the Anarchs as the just destroyers of things. Yeah, or, or, well, she's another way to circumvent the normal ways things have played, which obviously is what they want. Right. Um, in the in the diary, you know, they're they're talking about how she's going to basically change the game. Do you actually play the game you're trying to play, or you try and play her game? Right. Which a lot of it's going to be trashing ice that her chess programs are on. Right. And that's good. I mean, that's it's one of those things that it, it's hard to explain easily. But changing the economy of the game. This is such a heavy economy game. Changing the economy can be huge. That's why Wizard is much stronger than people give him credit for, because he changed, drastically changes the way the Corp has to play for their economy. Yeah, well, I, mean, I guess that's true, especially because they've given us a lot more of the Corp assets that you can tend to just throw out there that right. like cost five to trash, and most of the runners, you know, by the time you throw it out and flip it and pay, f- you know, and get bits off of it, it's already been worth its investment for you as the Corp. And the runner's gonna have to invest even more. It'll deny you for future bits, but it's still costing them quite a bit to deny those to you. And Wizard really right. significantly puts that back, mitigates that cost. Right. I mean, basically both Wizard and Rainia are in different ways making the corp spread out their ice, make their ice, their forts much smaller and thinner, which is good for the runner because it's easier to get in places. Yeah. So I'm very interested. I will say, I feel like Deep Red, if you're going to be using any number of these chess programs, I feel like Deep Red, the uh, console... Oh, got to be your console. It's got to be your console. I find it very interesting because the console itself, the Deep Red console, is only one influence. So that's pretty easy to import. I don't see anyone else playing the chess programs, really. Well, I mean, a lot of these, I mean, like, the, the Bishop is that Host Ice has negative two strength for no cost. Just memory. And factions like Shapers have memory to spare, and for only two apiece, that seems pretty good. That can significantly reduce your cost to get through somewhere. True. Maybe just the fact that we're getting into the second cycle, that there's more opening up. Just like criminals, you still have to import two of your three breakers. Yeah. As soon as they give a criminal infection barrier or gate breaker that is at least marginally efficient. That yeah. opens up so much influence space for the criminals. The Rook would be great in a criminal deck. Yes. Yeah, and it's very, very uh, cheap. I mean, honestly, it's still good in a Shaper deck, too. Just, you know, slapping that on whatever big ice you have. Oh, yeah, no, I, of. I didn't mean it as not in Shaper. I meant... But criminals, of, yeah. 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 Knight, I'm not as impressed by it, even though it is very strong for two, but it's one piece of ice. Yeah, it's, it's that one piece of ice, and it's costing you two to break each subroutine. Right. And while seven hits almost everything, there's still a couple that that doesn't hit. I mean, what's... Right. What's Janice? 
Isn't Janus oh. an eight strength? Yeah, I believe so. I am pretty sure. Yeah, Janus is an eight strength, which means the knight can't break it. Yeah, exactly. Although I think that's the only one it can't break currently. That and a boosted Hadrian's, but yeah. Right, right it will be, yeah, well, any of those. I mean, technically, uh, you could get it to where you couldn't get through an ice wall. But, yeah, that's less coming up. But right. true, technically true. The best kind of correct. I mean, honestly, even even Rook, I don't know, it's too influenced, so that's a little bit pricey. But in Corp Economic, uh, sorry, yeah, Economic Warfare, uh, so Criminal Economic Warfare, yeah. i get it right eventually. There you go. Saying like, okay, I'm going to run on this, okay, now I'm going to slap down this program, and all your costs for resing ice is increased by two, I'm going to make a run here. Makes it that much worse. Oh, and then did, you know, did you repel me? Did you res ice or whatever? Well, next time I'm going to go run on your HQ and turn down that ice and make it continue. Right, right. Pretty expensive. Well, I mean, at this point I'll point out the one weakness of the chess programs, since they are all hosted on ice. If they are overly nasty, the corp can just go, up. Oh, I'm going to install a new piece of ice, trash the one that you're Chess piece was on. Chess piece goes away. Right. No. No. Th- th- and I mean, that's why you need the pawn. But but even without the pawn, they're still having to trash ice. So I think for any other runners, you tend to use these mid to late game, and you slap them on the big piece of piece of ice that you see, or the really annoying piece of ice that you see. Right. But imagine, you know, one of the big things that people like to do right now, especially with fast advance, is to slap a whole bunch of pop up windows everywhere. Yeah, pop up windows. All of a sudden, pop-up window, you slap that on the main server when he's got six pieces of ice up, and all of a sudden, pop-up window is costing me two. You probably still do it, but there's a good chance it significantly reduces, you know, your chances of hitting the other ice, mm-hmm. of being able to res all of the ice on that server. Right. And it's costing you significantly more than it normally would. Oh, but in mid-delay game, if I'm slapping it on your... I don't know, Heimdall or something, and then you feel like the need to slap trash Heimdall because it's just wrecking that server, I still feel like that's definitely an advantage. And especially with Roja, she's going to then make you pay for it again, literally. Right, and that's that's her main synergy with the chess programs, is that if they go to trash their ice to get rid of the chess programs, the new ice costs them more. I think you could probably support maybe one, but the extra click of moving it is not... It's a significant cost. Right. So Deep Red definitely helps remove that cost, so... Oh, yeah. If if you're playing the chess, you have to be playing Deep Red for the the ability as much as the RAM boost. Well, and it makes me worry a little bit that you might... If you are going to make a chess deck, you might be a little too dependent on Deep Red. Because Anarchs don't have any really great... Well, I, I take that back. I mean, of course, they all, all obviously have Wild Side. But that's still not entirely great card draw. No, it's not. Because it's forced, and you're having to do two every turn. Right, I mean, uh, I consider Wild Side much more Jinteki meta than it is card draw. Right. I mean, you would really want to do more of the uh, Mr. Lee out of Corp to really yeah. filter, or just import some of the, the Shaper. Thankfully, I greatly underestimated how useful uh, quality time was, because for three bits, that card's amazing, and it's only one influence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of Shaper, having the influence is is a huge thing, but yeah, completely refilling your hand, often worth it. Yeah, it, it, yeah and for such a low influence cost, it, I mean, it's, it's cheaper than diesel. Right, yes. So, but anyways... 
the point still stands that you're really going to need to fish Deep Red out very fast, which means you're probably even going to need to run three copies of it, which is not super great in a runner deck, typically. I find any unique stuff I don't really want to run more than two of, because otherwise it just starts clogging your head, which is fine for later game, but it could always be something else. Right, true. Especially with uh, Flare, Corp is getting more ways of actually trashing hardware. And I'm sure that'll only get worse. Yeah, probably. He's got it because there's, what, two cards right now? So Yeah. Thinking about it, you, you know what the, the chest really needs is a gin. Yes. Uh, Deep Red's kind of trying to be that, but you can't fish it out. Right, no, that's the part of the gin I mean, is the go fish out a chest piece. Yeah. Here's the other confusing, like, I totally understand why you do uh, Kesa, but you have Reina Roja, who is in, whose name is obviously Spana, and Sesa, which I, I think he said was a uh, Celtic god? Uh, Thracian. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, it just throws me off. It's like, oh, here's two different languages mixed together. Well, I guess we do that often enough today, and right, the now, future will be... Right, it's the, it's the future. We speak Chinese whenever we need to swear in English most of the rest of the time. So the viewers can understand. I think that's Firefly. What? Yeah, what were you talking about? <laughs> I did find out reading the Netrunner novel that apparently New Angeles, which is where all this stuff is taking place, is in Brazil. Or no, was it Brazil or Ecuador? I think it's huh. Ecuador. Because they found a whole gigantic piece of land that they needed to build the giant space elevator. Right. And the only place that they could find it cheap enough was like Ecuador. So the United it's technically well, I mean, the United States, but they built they bought like this giant portion of land. Right. Well, I mean, you to my understanding of a space elevator, you want it near the equator. Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. It went into the technicalities of it, but right. I'm sure we've, I've bored the listeners enough. <laughs> what listeners? I think we've lost them all already. <laughs> Good. Get rid of them. No. Yeah. I, I might borrow that from you if you don't mind. Getting rid of people? I don't think I trademarked uh, the, the novel. No, oh, I, oh. I, I'm fully skilled at getting rid of people already. <laughs> no, oh, well, unfortunately, it is a digital novel. Oh, never so, mind. It, a lot of times, anytime I find fiction, like the officially published stuff, it's almost always on some type of e-reader, and it's yeah. just so much easier to find it that way. And I could also be, you know, in bed saying, you know what, I kind of want to read that Netrunner novel. And just bam, have it thirty seconds later. Ah, uh, modern technology, but. Unfortunately, I can't loan it until they until they import that technology over from the uh, uh, readers because some of the readers you can. Right. No, that's fine. Blah blah blah. Never mind. Anyway, back to chess pieces. One thing that I think think will be interesting since she is the Red Queen, are we going to have a queen chess piece, or is she just going to be the queen of the set? I think she'll probably just be the queen of the set. I really like her. I like her style. My only problem. Uh, this is a very super superficial thing. But when you look at her art, it is very obvi- obviously a uh, 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 her. It's that the the armor, because she's a cyborg, so who knows what's flesh and what's not. But I'm assuming that her body is just armor. What's on her body is armor and not cybernetic replacements. Either way, she has, like, pecs like a man. <laughs> like, even even as a woman, when you get muscles, that they don't look like that. Or, you know, not quite like that. So they they do when you buy them off the wrong shelf. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. 
And the thing is, she's, I think she actually has a very handsome jawline and whatnot. I, I think she looks really awesome. It, right. It's the only, this one thing, and I'm not the only person in this bug, so I've talked to a couple other people about it. But she, she's awesome either way. I think she's awesome all around. I think this is somebody like Andy. Everybody kind of poo-pooed Andy for, uh, when she came out, but she's, from what I understand, doing pretty well in the tournament scene. Right. I mean, I, I read a nice article the other day that was talking about, especially if you're coming from Magic, you really need to evaluate Netrunner cards in a completely different way than you do in, in, in Magic cards or other right. card games. So you look at something like this or Andromeda and you're like, yeah, that's not that big. But then you actually play it and you see the power and you realize, oh no, that is actually a huge effect going on seeing a much larger chunk of your deck. It's also to the point where Netrunner's got a mature enough card pool, which is pretty impressive from six sets and a uh, base set, but it's got a mature enough card pool that it, sometimes a lot of things, their their power is not immediately obvious, and you have to really look to the card pool and what you can pull together to right. see how it's really... Because Andy by yourself, it's like, okay, it's whatever. But then you look at Corp and you look at how, you know, it's really that they have so many events that are so good. It makes her so good. Sure. Part of it, too, is, and uh, again, going back to this article that I liked, was where magic is very much, you draw a card, you drop a land, you play a card, that's it. You have this very linear curve of card draw and power coming out and so forth. With Netrunner, for the runner, you've got four actions. You can do anything with that. You can draw four cards. You can play four cards. You can do everything. So it just leads to a very different way of evaluating what how valuable cards are. Well, really, and, and on top of that, one of the big things, because one of the big things you have to look at for Magic is tempo. Right. For most other card games, honestly, is tempo. And I would say Netrunner really doesn't have tempo. It has phases. Yeah, it does have tempo, but it's not in the same way. So, like, one of the things with magic is, if I do two damage to you, that's pretty much two damage to you throughout the course of the game, that's going to be the same. Whereas if I run on R&D, that could win me the game top-decking lucky, that could be a completely worthless run on R&D. Right. So, the same action in different places, based on the game state, can be completely different reward love payout levels. Right. Which is part of, obviously part of what the game was designed to do. Right. It's part of the reason why I like it so much because right. everything and else I do gets... too. It just makes it much more difficult to judge cards in a vacuum like yep. most people try to do. Yep, well and this is honestly like we're doing now. Yeah. Hey. Well but honestly this is probably one of the most meta games ever. I, I'm thinking about it now, because you really have to pack whatever you want to pack, uh, and especially with no sideboard. Well, I mean, I don't think you really put a sideboard into this game. I, I've always said it's it's not that it's meta game so much as it's you have to know your opponent. You have to know your deck, and you have to know their deck, and know how to play around them. If you're playing against Jinteki the same way you play against Wayland, you are desperately going to lose one, if not both, of those games. You have to change your strategy for the opponent. That's true as well, but I think there is still just straight-up regular metagame, whereas... Oh, yes, there's that too. Because, you know, like, do I do I use Corroder, which is one of the most cost-efficient 
barrier breakers or do I use battering ram? Both have their advantages and their disadvantages. Battering ram, once you start to get up in strength, becomes way more, and uh, subroutines becomes way more cost efficient, actually, than corroder does. But corroder comes down faster, uses less memory, etc., etc. Right. I think every other week on the subreddit, I see somebody's posting a link to a chart breaking down the various efficiency points of all the icebreakers versus all the ice, and every time I see that, it makes it very clear that Fantasy Flight has been doing an excellent job of making it so that there is no one correct breaker. There's what ice are you expecting to see? This is going to be the most efficient generally against that type of ice. The the one thing that I would say that that's not quite true, and I feel like Knight maybe could help this, still anything that requ- requires you to pay two to break a subroutine is usually not going to be efficient. It's not going to be efficient, but there are uses for it. I mean, like, as much as I malign the peacock, the ability for criminals to have an infaction gatebreaker, as in- inefficient as it is, is an important card to exist. Oh, yeah, no, I- I'm not saying that, but still anything that has the two-break subroutine is it's not going to be efficient, no. Yeah, it's just not nearly as efficient. And it really starts to add up very, very quickly, especially if it tends to be, if it's the ice baker that they have a lot of ice of. Yeah. That's part of the reason that why I complain about Yogg is that he really breaks that curve. Or he does. It, 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 it doesn't really have a gender, yeah, probably. Yogg really, Yogg really changes things for the worse. I really wish they had either made it cost one to break subs or made it something like Yogg is at zero strength, but you can up to three times pay to increase the strength. Yeah, and my my biggest problem with Yogg, personally, is that so many of the code gates tend to be the cheaper code gates, so they tend to be lower strength, so then he breaks all of your code gates and he ruins that curve. Anybody other than Anarchs are going to have to pay influence to have him in, but he's not even that much influence. He's like... One, I think? One or two. Yeah. So, you know, almost every deck is running him because I like I know I personally run him and then I run another I run another breaker in case I run into something bigger that he can't break, which is usually just code gate. I mean uh sorry, Tollbooth. Tollbooth, yeah. Tollbooth is like the only thing that sees play that he can't break. Even when he can break it. God, why do I keep calling it a he? <laughs> Even when <laughs> he can break it. about the Yogasaurus, which is totally a he. <laughs> Even when it can break it, it's still costing you money to get through. And three right. bits is, well, I mean, that's about what you'd pay to get through most, your your average ice, I would say, two to three. Right, um, I mean, that's... Tends to be, yeah. tends to be what you're, you're paying, but... so yeah, That's enough y'all granting. Yeah, well, and... I, as a whole, not only am I, I must say this preview, I, I, of course, I've been excited for Netrunner. One of the aspects I really like about the chess pieces is how they move and how they really do kind of move like chess right, pieces. It's, it's very f- nice and flavorful. But, but yeah, and besides the fact that it's flavorful, which, you know, of course is awesome, and, you know, obviously you can see all of the, um, the flavor for, uh, for, for the chess stuff, I really like how clever they've gotten very, very quickly. This is only the second set, and this is more inventive than I've seen them do in any of their other card games. Oh, or most other card games. I I've, I've really haven't seen it blow out this fast. Well, I shouldn't say blow out. I haven't seen it build sideways so fast. So there's so many different alternative builds that you can have. And Right. Uh, I mean, they've done an excellent job. I mean, even the worst corp, Jinteki, 
is still fully playable, is still t- fully tournament viable. It's just, you know, the weakest of the four. Well, and, and I feel like, that, or at least my observation has been, with runners, you have a bunch of different options and all are very viable. Yes. There's a couple that are probably technically better, but if you can't couple that with player skill, that doesn't even matter anyways. I feel, generally speaking, that it's much more about player skill and luck than it is necessarily about the deck you're playing. I feel like a a skilled player who knows what they're doing can take any deck handed to them and do well with it. Yeah, within limits. But more my my more my point is that especially with Reina Roja and the chess programs, you don't have two more very obvious ways that you could go on the runner side. What I feel is really lacking, I, I really want them to build the corp up, and really what the corp is lacking is still ice. Yes, oh, very yes. Like, every single one of the corps needs more solid ice that's in their faction. Right, uh, or just give me, give me like, one or two more generic, cheap, end-the-run ice. Right. And, and yeah, the I feel like that alone would really shore up the corpse nicely. Or, you know, even, I would say, not even necessarily cheap ice. I, I think the, the cheap ice that they have do, do a pretty good job, the generics and the... Um, the ones that are available. What I would really like is some more mid-range ice. I feel like everything is two or three, or it's like eight. Yeah. That you that you bother playing. I would really like to see more four and fives. There are four and fives out there, but they're things like Neural Katana, which has its uses, but it's not stopping ice. And right. stopping ice in that range would be a lot better. You, it really feels like you have beginning game ice and you have end game ice. And maybe maybe that's specifically designed because that's kind of how the game flows. You tend to have no bits, and then you have a bunch of bits. But it still would be nice to have some decent medium-range firing power as Corp. And I feel like that's one of the things that's been holding back Corp creativity, is just that the runners tend to be so powerful. If, if you have anything less than a very well-tuned machine, or are very good at playing something like Jinteki where you can distract people, it, it becomes really hard to win. Well, I mean, my, my point is I would like to see some more generic, cheap stopper ice, because... I still feel like every single corp needs to spend a good chunk of its influence just importing other factions' good, cheap stopper ice such that they have enough ice that that, those first couple of turns they can actually successfully defend themselves. Well, and really, it's it's mainly Wayland and HB that have the good, cheap ice. Right. Um, They Really, you need a good stopper ice for NBN, and you need a good stopper ice for Jinteki. Jinteki just needs stopper ice, period. Yes. Make it not as good at stopping and give it some kind of weird effect so it's Jinteki-ish, but, you know, well, let's I mean, stop. Like, <laughs> the, the one they previewed a while ago where it's like, end the run unless the corp uh, pays one, and then net damage, net damage, net damage. That's exactly the type of thing that Jinteki needs. Right. Early game, it becomes stop. Late game, it becomes kill. Right. Yeah, anything that gives you flexibility, obviously, and that's really what Jinteki feels like it should be. But even, you know, I, I was playing against the NBN deck, and it's a lot further than I thought it was, the multi-tag deck. Yeah. That thing gets scary real fast. Right, because you stop being able to keep your resources on board, and if they're playing it correctly, you don't have any money. Right. Well, and just, I drop Project Beal, I, I don't like... 20, to- to- uh, blah, 20 advancement tokens on it, I win the game. Well, there's that too, yes. Yeah, so Psychographic's kind of a good card. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, once you get to the point in the game where you can have giant tags from, because yeah, six months ago that was a horrible card. Now that you can just inundate the runner with tags, great card. Yeah, well, it, it's really weird to me because my one worry about that deck is that since most runners, almost everybody, well, yeah, all the runners use resources for economy, well, because you give them so many anti-economy cards and it starts to be, like, a little unfair in, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, that's intentionally set up that other than the stupid button, that's, resources are the runner economy. Right. Right, and that's, uh, you know, and that's how it's set up, so it makes it, I mean, I guess you're just gonna have to meta going into, um meta going into Magnum Opus though is really bad. That, that's a really big swing of meta. I mean, no, that's reconstructing but, your deck. Yes, it is. And I'm not saying you go Magnum Opus purely on the meta choice, I'm just saying that that is available and... Right, it just, I don't know. It feels like there's just like there's a card now that's coming out where you can burn all of your, uh, or the corp can burn all of the virus counters for like all of your actions. I feel like there should be a card that lets you burn all your tags for a couple actions. I don't think that would necessarily shut down the deck, but maybe that's uh, just me. I haven't seen the design space. Maybe it'll get better. All I know is once that that deck starts getting tags on you, which can be impossible to stop, it's really hard to get rid of them, and then it just kind of railroads the game. There is a way for the runner to get rid of tags cheaply. It's called networking. But that still requires it to be in your hand, and it takes four actions, you know, it takes four actions, four bits to take, get rid of four tags. I mean, that deck, especially the NBN deck, well, you know, it's also your own fault if you let it get too high, too, so I guess it should. Right, I mean, that's the, the thing. That you, have to, you have to play against it. You can't let, you can't let it snowball. You have to keep yourself at zero tags. Right. Uh, I mean, the, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the one that gives you, like, 30 tags. That only comes up if you actually successfully steal something. Right. Oh, the uh, the one that costs, like, six? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even think anybody really runs it. It's really, you know, I think what it is is if you don't have any resources out and you're running, managing to run fairly resource light and you just make a bunch of tags, you just make a bunch of runs where, you know, you don't worry about tags. Right. It seems like, oh, well, he's not really stopping me and I'm getting wherever I want. And to be fair, you can get a lot of, get a lot of agendas that way. Yes, yeah, if, if you play that I don't care about my tags, you're a lot freer to run, but there are consequences for doing that. Right. And, I mean, that's a good thing because I remember earlier putting together a, a deck that was doing a little bit of tagging and I was like, I just don't have enough I pulled tags out of my NBN deck as soon as I could, just because I didn't feel like the punishment was there. Right. Now that we've got Beal and Psychographics, I might look about putting them back in, but... And you really can't underestimate a Scorched Earth or two. True. Because a Scorched Earth out of nowhere is like, oh, I've got tags, oh, he's really not running, whatever, I'll let my hand size get down to two, and then, oh, you're out of the game! Sure, I, I lost to Jinteki thanks to a poorly timed snare... Scorched Earth for exactly that reason. Yep. Yeah, this is a good god. Thank God they priced that influence correctly because yeah. I really feel like three is the correct is the correct price for that uh, that four. card. Oh, is it four? It's four. Oh, it is four. And yeah, three bits, and that is correct because oh. that be that means if you want to play a playset out of faction, 
you're left with three influence. Which means it's a, it's a really good one of as like a meta card if you have some way of getting a tag every once in a while. Right, no, yeah. Um, it's fun as a one of if you've got a few tags hanging out. I mean, honestly, it's probably worth it just if you can get a tag on them, it's probably worth it just to delay them a turn, even if it doesn't kill them. I mean, that can be a game-winning turn. True. Because they're going to have to build that up, otherwise. Right. Well, and it also it depends on the deck. Like, Jinteki is doing enough net damage randomly that if you get them tagged and the runner and the runner can easily, with all the net damage, end up with three or fewer cards in their hand at the end of their turn. Yeah. Moving on from Netrunner, unless you have anything else you want to... No, I think we've talked enough about the subject. Yes. So, uh, the next thing I have on the agenda is uh, a game that was mentioned earlier, which is Hex. I know that I'm a backer. I'm also a backer. I know we both backed at fairly high levels. I I wasn't quite as high as yours, but uh, still pretty significant. What about the game excites you about the Hex game? What what made you want to excite you enough to actually back it? Mainly, it's based on the enthusiasm and the previews that I've seen, it looks like they're seriously going to be taking advantage of the fact that it's digital. Like, they've previewed a, a card that gets plus one, plus one for every six humans in your deck when the game starts. That's just not something you could do in a real-life card game. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Of, I have to say that's the same. One of the main things that's drawn me to it as well. And I, some of the examples they've shown are just nuts. They're just things that are fun that you could not do with anything else. Right. I, mean, I, I cannot wait to play, uh, and I'm immediately blanking on the name of the keyword, but that human keyword that they just keep getting each other better. Inspire? Inspire, yes. Inspire looks so cool. So for anybody who doesn't know, Inspire is a keyword that whenever uh, a creature with Inspire is on the battlefield, whenever another creature comes down and it has equal or greater cost, it will gain a permanent benefit from the uh, the creature with Inspire. So if it says, like, Inspire, all your next or your creature gets plus one, plus one, and it costs two, every creature you play after that while that guy is on the board gets permanent plus one, plus one whenever they come down onto the board. And also, with this game, it literally means permanent. It dies, it gets shuffled into your deck, shows back up in your hand, it's still got that plus one, plus one. Yeah, it lets them have open up a whole bunch of really interesting design space. Yeah. Um, the only other digital I'd seen where they tried to do something like that that I can remember, most of the time when I see something like, oh, let's take advantage of digital, it's always random, but not yeah. in a good way. For example, oh, I actually can't use that one example, but the other example I can think of is Magic the Gathering, when the very first computer program that came out for it. Uh, I'm not talking about the terrible, like, R- top-down RTS-type game. But the first Magic Magic game from Microprose, they actually had a series of cards, it was one of every color, that did some kind of random effect. Like, there was one, I think Green had one that was basically like, like, kind of a, it was a mana producer, but when it came down, it produced a random color of mana. <laughs> uh, That's just bad. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff where, like, the power was random, or you dealt random damage. And it just made the card inconsistent and not really playable. Right, that's that's not what you want out of a card. You don't... You, you want consistency. There's, yeah, there's things you can do 
in the digital space that are interesting, but that's not one of them. And it's okay to have those cards if you just want to have cards that are kind of fun. Even some of those seem to be in Hex. There's the one where they previewed one of the demonstration games that they had was an artifact deck, and it had an artifact that once you pumped it up enough, once you put enough tokens on it by bowing certain things, or bowing, wow, we're just completely (laughs) taking these terms everywhere. Once you had basically tapped enough things, I don't even know what what term they're using, but whenever you tapped enough things and put enough counters on it, it created a completely random artifact and put it onto the battlefield. For varying definitions of completely random. Well, whatever's in the set, right? Like it picked a random one of those. That, that, that's me being mean. That there. Oh, well, then uh, yeah. Also, it did have a bug. They're pre-alpha, yeah. That it had a bug. It was always creating the same card. Like within the same round, because once it went outside right. of the round, it was it was fine. Right. Presumably, it was preceding at the start of the round, and I'm sure they will have fixed that. I mean, yes. There's the thing is, it's not even. It's still in pre-alpha, so right. Yeah, 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 obviously that's that's what's showing. But even that card just in general, I mean, you could drop something that is like, oh my god, okay, well I just basically won the game. Or it could be like, you I know, something... You got a cooking pot. Yeah, something completely random and dumb. So th- there's still some of that, but at least it's even that's a little bit more controlled. You know a little bit more of what you're getting into with that. And I don't think you'd be a serious deck around that. Obviously that was just something that he wanted to do to have fun. Right, no. I mean, that's another thing that really excites me about it is... They have uh, serious tournaments, but they've also got the PvE content where it looks like they will let you do ridiculous, hilarious, silly things. Like, there's an equivalent of the Black Lotus that is only legal for the PvE. And what is hilarious is they're taking the digital thing serious there. So their Black Lotus, when you use it, it permanently becomes a different card. As in, in your collection, it becomes a different card. Yep. To be fair, you actually have a, um, it was one of the Kickstarter awards. I think at $100 or better. Yeah. You had to be at to get it. And it was the one that they would not let you have more than one of. Because every time you log in, it makes a new daily, uh, it makes a new Black Lotus card. No, no, I you. thought they said the collector's tier got two. Oh, I think the, you're right. I think the collector's yeah. tier does get two. But other than that, that was the other, you know, that was the only card right. that they would not oh, let you have oh. more of. All of the, they had multiple stretch goals where it's like, oh, we'll give another copy of all of the Kickstarter things, except for that one. Yeah, so, so yeah, they permanently change the card, that's kind of, you know, that's a really cool, interesting thing. I think a lot of the PvE stuff is really new and interesting, and really has not been done before. Right, I mean, it'll be, I assume because they really have not polished it to the extent, again, pre-alpha, that they want to. But I really cannot wait to see what they've done with the pre-alpha, with, with the PVE content, because what little they have shown looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really good. I will say, I will say, I do still have some concerns for X, and it's not anything actually really related to do with the Kickstarter. And that is that it basically straight up cribs magic. I mean, straight up cribs magic. There's only yeah. a couple of differences. Even most of the keywords are exactly the same out of magic. And I mean, obviously, there's some strengths for doing that. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised they can get away with it. There, I know there are a lot of doppelganger I mean, games, but I mean, there's not a whole lot you can really do about that. Mostly, I'm annoyed by that because they they kept the resource system roughly. I'm no, no, I mean, so much prefer the like World of Warcraft. 
anything can be a resource. Some of them are better to this. These specific cards are only good for resources, and that's those are the only cards that are resources. Right, oh, but, but it basically is the same system. It's technically more flexible than lands, because right. for those who have not looked into Hex, basically you have cards that are lands. But instead of it coming down and, like, tapping for mana every turn, uh, what happens is you have mana that regenerates every turn, and those cards, you can only play one of them a, t- a turn. It uh, increases your permanent increase and your temporary mana. So it'll increase both. Uh, they have a shorthand of a zero, you know, number slash number. The first number is how much temporary you have, so how much you have to spend that turn. The second number is permanent, so how much you're going to generate at the start of each turn. And then they have threshold. And threshold essentially works the same way as magic, magic's color mana system. requirement. Yeah, the, the color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but a lot more flexible. It is a lot more flexible. Because, I mean, like, what if something is too green, green? In Magic, you would actually have to have four Force and four other mana. Well, no, no. I mean, the, the best explanation I've heard is, in Magic, if you had a Forest and two Swamps and three one-green-cost guys, I can only play one of those three green-cost guys. Whereas with Hex, if I've got three mana and one green shard and two black shards, I can cast all three of those one-cost one green shard requirement, guys. Right, no, no, and that's where I was going, too, was yeah. if something costs, like, two green green, and I have, what, two green threshold and six, I don't know, black threshold or whatever, I'm going to be able to pl- cast two of those if I have them in my hand, whereas with land, I would only be able to cast one, and even though I had four mana, I would not be able to cast the other one. I do like that aspect of it better. I think that's probably a more a better, more flexible system but it still is going to run into problems. And this was really highlighted for me because I, I do play Magic from time to time, but really, uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2014 came out last week. So, of course, I bought it on three different platforms because I'm an idiot. Addict. Uh, yeah. One of the big things is that it added sealed play, which is it's pretty interesting. It's That's always really fun to do. Right. I mean, back to Hex, that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to is drafting. Right. Well, well, this isn't even drafting, though. It's just straight-up sealed. Oh. It's like you get six booster packs and then just build whatever you want. But going through the duels, it's really made me realize once again how much I really hate Magic's economic system. Because there's just so many games, no matter how good your deck is or how, you know, how tuned it is, or, you know, you have 40% land and you still draw... You play a hand that because it has three lands out of your seven cards, uh, and they're the colors that you need, and then you don't draw another land for the rest of the game, and you just lose because your resources weren't right. And I hate right. games that are like that. I, I do too. I mean, I would have much rather seen like, oh, I can discard a card with a blue th- uh, threshold to give myself one mana and a blue threshold, rather than I have these specific cards that give me a mana and a blue threshold. Right, well, one of the things, uh, one of the other games that I've been playing lately, or had played, I haven't played it too recently, but Mojang, the guys who did Minecraft, <laughs> oddly enough, their next game is basically a tr- collectible card game with mm. a little bit of tactic, tactical elements to it called Scrolls. It's currently in beta. You can go to their website. It's 20 bucks to try it out and you, well, to, to own it or whatever, and you'll get a deck for that. But the the big important thing is here, 
that its resources, how its resource system works is that once per turn, you can sacrifice any card in your hand. It's called scrolls, but basically they're just cards in your hand. Um, you can sacrifice any of your cards in your hand for one of two things. You can either sacrifice it for a um, a resource. So there's three different resources in the game currently, and anything, and it, if you have at least one uh, card of that resource in your deck, you can sack it for that color, no matter what you're sacking. So I, if I've got like a, a an order card and a wild card, if I sack the order card, I can still get a wild resource if I want. And then after that, it basically works like hex. Like I've, well, actually no, it doesn't. It, it's more like the lands. I've got three wild and four order, and I can only spend order on order cards, etc. Or you can sack it to draw two cards. So, but you can only sack one thing a turn. So that to me seems a bit more flexible, or you know, it, it's going to be less right. dependent. Now they, they've said that they went through. This game's already three years in development. And they said that they went through and they found that that resource system is the, the magic resource, resource system is the best. I, I have some real problems yeah, with uh, that. I honestly think that um, of any card game that I played, well, I know we just sat and talked about it for an hour, but I feel like Netrunner probably has the best uh, resource system because everything is a resource. Well, I mean, Netrunner just has a very different way of paying for things. That right. It's not at all the same thing. Right, uh, and you know it, it's hard to compare. Once again, it's you know that's the same way that you can't compare magic card, use magic card comparing skills in Netrunner. It doesn't really work. So trying to switch between games, you know, isn't entirely fair. But at the same point, Mix is Hex is still somewhat mutable. It probably isn't at this point. They put so much time into it. Right. No, no. I I think it is too late for a change. I just wish a year and a half ago when they were still planning it, they'd been like. Hey, you know this other game we've got, World of Warcraft, their resource system that's pretty good? Why don't we go with that? Well, and, and I kind of understand why they didn't. I just think there was something else. There was, there must be some third option. And that's why I bring up the scrolls is because that was, you know, one way that you did it. it right. In ways, it is kind of, it's kind of the World of Warcraft system because you can sack any card to be a resource. But at the same point, it kind of isn't, well, because you actually destroy the card and it goes into your discard pile so you can get it back, unlike World of Warcraft, because your right. deck recycles in that game. So that makes it probably not as comparable. But it gives you more flexibility, and you're not caught with all resources or no resources. Because, right, which is what you don't want. You, you don't want the screw, you don't want the flood. Right, exactly. And, you but, don't want to not play your game. Right. And I think there are a lot of interesting ways they could have gone about it. I mean, I get that this is such a huge undertaking. They don't want to get too innovative simply right. because they they need a, a fan base. Right. And that this is a very easy to import people into because people know, everybody knows magic. That's what right, everybody exactly. started with. And let's not lie. I think one of the main reasons that this is so much like magic is that's the biggest game, so it becomes really easy. I mean... And it becomes easy to import out of, too. Right. Like, if you want to... Because they said they've never done this as of... They're never going to do this as a physical game. If you want to get into card games, this is interesting. It was not that far of a leap to get into Magic. Right. And yeah, there's no way they could do this as a physical card game. No, no. It It would be interesting if they did promos of, like, specific cards, though I don't know... Yeah, well, he said that would, would be the one thing that they would do. 
Right. I, I don't know where they would release those types of things. Well, remember, they actually hit their last goal on Kickstarter, which means there is going to be a convention. True. So that the conventions seem exactly like what you want. It's going to be very interesting, too, because this is the first digital card game that's really 100% digital and really being pushed as a card game. There are others out there. They're just not very well known. Right. Typically. I mean, I, what I think is going to be really interesting is a year from now, when the game has been officially out for six months or more, where it looks to me like they're going to make a heavy esports push, if they can pull that off, if they can have people streaming this game, turn, casting like they do for LOL and well, I mean, they, StarCraft 2... And, and they other, already do it like for that. Magic. They already do it right. for Magic. It's just not very easy to do for any physical car game. Right. And so, I mean, if, if they make that easy and that book... I mean... That would be really interesting to have this be an eSport, in my mind. Yeah, I think the one problem that they're going to run into is, or that may run into is eSports tend to like to have some kind of video of the face of one of the competitors, because just staring at a screen, especially like for a television audience, is not particularly well, I mean, there's, exciting. There's no reason you couldn't have your webcam turned on. I mean, they, they streamed, they've streamed several games of this already, previewing it, where right. they did exactly that, have had the two players... Now, granted, if they're doing that, they'd want to not have it that the face is on the opposite side of the board of who's playing it. Yeah, like but, they did on others. Oh, right. But, but that that actually does lead me into like another... Well, because you have things like StarCraft, which is obviously one of the biggest eSport games. StarCraft, they bring you local, even though you play and qualify... You know, from your online, from wherever, right. yeah, online wherever you play, and that actually that lag reduction can be a, you know a really big thing. And even uh, even lol and basically any Twitch based game is going to suffer. Well, it will suffer, but you know it's going to be a difference. Right, lag is an important factor, which this won't have. So yes, it'll be interesting if they. I mean, presumably this game is going to have regionals level tournaments right. but there's no reason they would have to actually be you know regional tournaments well, but I, I think I think you run into two interesting questions here number one since you don't have to have a great connection and technically you could be playing from your iPad the yeah. whole time you know what kind of requirements are you going to have to have for regional if someone's going to do it from house if they want to do esports and they want to stream somebody right. what if your internet's not good enough to support that well, I mean, and also, I mean, like, what if I really like playing on my iPad in the bathtub? Are they going to be okay with the camera being in there? <laughs> Go straight Ricker Gervais style. Right. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is the, um, oh, you know, are, are they going to, are they actually going to have physical competitions? Because some, right. a lot of times that's what they do for LOL and for Dota and for, you know, a lot of these Twitch games is they actually bring them when they're at the very high levels. They actually, or maybe not bring them, but they, they actually host an event so everybody comes there. And I'm really interested to see, because they have a history of doing it. Cryptozoic, who's the company who I think we are just now mentioning for the first time. Yeah, uh, dancing but, around but not mentioning outright. Um, Cryptozoic um, obviously does this with World of Warcraft already. Uh, right. So they're experienced at having... They're experienced at having events, but they're not experienced at having events where you actually have to have, like, a computer set up, where you have to have a LAN game set up. Well, I mean, yes and no. Keep in mind that Cryptozoic was spun out of Blizzard. Well, true, so. and that there, there are some people there, and obviously they have software engineers, and 
the other nice thing is it doesn't have to be a Blizzard game where everybody needs a top-of-the-line computer. Really, you just need a computer that can right. play the game. I mean, it's going to be no competitive advantage or disadvantage for the most part. Um, as long as the amount of time everybody gets to see cards, if you've got time to play, is the same. It's something that I'm very interested in to see if they do develop as an eSport, which I think they definitely could. There's definitely interest in, like, Magic. Right, they definitely could. I got the impression they definitely want to. Yeah. It'll be very interesting, again, in a year from now, when the game has been out for six months, and they've been able to make pushes in that arena to see where they are as far as actually being casted. I mean, yeah, maybe a year from now the two of us will be casting random hex games. Yeah, well, I mean, and Lord knows people stream stuff like that all the time. They already stream Magic Online. Right. I think streaming, they'll, they'll definitely be streaming, and they're building in, I think they said they were building in support for Twitch, weren't they? Or there's some, so, yeah. like some online, uh, why there's, well, I mean, it's Twitch or, uh, Ustream, so it's one of those two that they have support for. The thing that's gonna be interesting, I think the big esports, just like anything with esports, is really what money they can put behind it. And once they put enough, once they make enough money that they can actually start having real cash tournaments, I think that's especially when people are gonna ratchet up, their right. interest is gonna ratchet if, up, and that's you when you might see it. They will explode. come. Yeah, if you pay people, they will come. That's why I'm, I mean, people forget, but that's half of why Magic is so successful as it is. I mean, not to take... Yeah, yeah, well, and not to take anything away from design, not to take anything away from it being the granddaddy of collectible card games, Richard Garfield is a very astute man and realized, how do you make people respect your game as if it's the next chess? Because people respect chess. Because you can make a living at doing chess. You can be a world... You know, uh, you right, can be world a world champion. world champion at chess and live. You can be a professional chess player. I, I don't even know if you can be a professional chess player anymore, but you can definitely be a professional Magic player. So right. you put money into your product. People will put more than that. I, I don't even. I don't even want to think about how much Hasbro makes back on every dollar they put into their pro tours. Right. So yeah. So once Cryptozoic is able to do that for Hex, I'm, I'm really wondering where that'll go. I'm hoping it'll last long enough so they can do that. Oh yeah, and I, I mean, especially given the interest they've already seen, I see no reason that they couldn't. I mean, it's a dawn of exciting new age, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes over the next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited for Hex overall. I mean, obviously since I've acted, right? Um, I, I look forward to getting unsuspecting friends into it as well. <laughs> no, but yeah, so if you haven't checked it out already, I think it's just HexTCG.com. Yes, HexTCG.com. Uh, it's too late for the Kickstarter, but you can still be a slacker backer. Right, you know, and assess at your own, you know, uh, obviously we very much liked it and we uh, backed it because we thought it was very interesting. Right. Um, but even and slacker backer is still going to be a good dollar value. But you really have to decide for yourself whether or not that dollar is going to be worth it at all. And well, what I, what I tell people when people are like, oh, I don't know, it's another card game. It's going to be free. It's going to be free to play, and it is definitely funded, so it is definitely coming out. So you don't have to do anything other than give it a chance and give it some bandwidth to download it to try it out. Right. I mean, you, you can't do PvP, you can't do booster drafts for free, but you can play the game and see how you feel about it. Right, I should say, yeah, the PvE component is completely yeah. free to play. I guess that's it? I think so, yeah.
You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter. Strange Assembly either place. Thanks for listening.